You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. Julia, can you believe the time has finally come? Honestly, no. We've been teasing this for forever. Well, I feel like it was big in season one. And then we had other things to talk about in season two. But it's always been just right there, just in the back of people's minds. We are, of course, talking about what's your number? I wish we had that, like, air cannon sound. Oh, I'll put it in. Amazing. Yeah. The power of editing. Yep. Um, We're talking about what's your number, my favorite rom-com. And you may be thinking, I've never heard of that. Also, you have a favorite rom-com. And the answer to both is, "Uh uh-huh. Well, first of all, the biggest question is, why don't you have a favorite rom-com? Truly. Like, have... You need to develop some taste. (laughs) Although I assume if you're listening to a Teen Wolf podcast, you probably have a favorite rom-com. Rom-coms are excellent. They're great. I always, and I think this is a theory that you agree with. The reason why women like rom-coms is not because they're frivolous and silly, which they are, which is a wonderful part about them. It's because there were, for a really long time, there was like very few outlets for you to see women in the leading roles in movies outside of rom-coms. And that's why like, we're so drawn to them. It's like, that's me, right? Yeah, and I also think that because that was kind of the only vehicle for, like, women to write and for stories to be centered on women, that they, like, got better and better and better Yeah, as time goes on. Like, When Harry Met Sally is my favorite rom-com, and I think that that's a fantastic movie, like, on so many different levels. Yeah. Um, it just, they get better and better. They do. And you have the sort of, like, classic ones, like, my favorite of maybe that era is Notting Hill. Mm-hmm. Which I still can't believe you haven't seen because I think I can vote the whole thing. I've seen The Door. Oh, good. In London. Oh, good. So. <laughs> I, I also saw it when I was there. My parents got really excited because it's like my family's favorite rom com besides Moonstruck, which is Moonstruck a rom com? I don't know. Yes, no. Moonstruck is a masterpiece. You're right. It, it actually cannot be qualified. Um, but then you just sort of see like things get progressively better and also worse in some cases. And then we end up with sort of like the modern rom com, which. They went away for a little bit while, like for a little while, but then like Crazy Rich Asians came out, and like we're kind of having a new, a resurgence, a renaissance, if you will. Yes, um, I hope that continues honestly because there was kind of um, a lack, like a serious drought of rom coms for a while, um, and ultimately culminated in a lot of films that are not enjoyable at all. Yeah, it's funny because this was kind of at the end of the rom com era. Like, mm-hmm. What's Your Number came out in 2011, and then it became, like, superhero movie central, <laughs> and, like, just sad stuff that you don't want to watch, and, like, now we're kind of re-entering. And the funny thing is that Netflix is a big part of this, is because they're, they've, like, um, signed on so much, like, teen media, mm-hmm. and uh, most rom-coms are actually, you know, rated PG-13. This one is not, <laughs> which we'll get into later. Yes. Uh, but, Julia, are you ready to tell our listeners, oh, wait, should we introduce ourselves? I feel like I always forget that I need to announce what we're doing here. Oh, sure. Uh, Go ahead. (laughs) My name is Christian. And I'm Julia. And you're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf podcast, a podcast where normally we talk about MTV's Teen Wolf, but today we're going to be talking about the 2011 hit, What's Your Number? Was it a hit? No. Do (laughs) I think it is? Yeah, sure. (laughs) Do we have uh, questionable yet incredible taste in movies? Yes. Yes. Okay, if you don't have a couple stinkers in your favorite movie list, like, you're boring. I'd like to state publicly that I really love the Nicole Kidman, Will Ferrell, Bewitched, and it is the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> See, like, that, I think you do have to have, like, a sort of, like, I understand why this got made to production. I understand why it made what it made in, like, the box office. Like, if you can't walk into, like, a movie and understand why other people like it. You don't have empathy, first of all. First of all, you're probably one of those people who's like, I read Jane Austen <laughs> and likes it. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if you really can't walk into things like this and break it down to, to be like, oh, that was interesting or fun or good commentary, and you walk out being like, that was so dumb, get your head out of your ass. You're not that important. Yeah, just chill out. Like, chill out. Yeah. Have fun. It's, have a glass of wine. <laughs> Hang with your girlfriends. Yeah. Look at Chris Evans. Which is what you get to do for so much of this movie. Yeah. It's what we did today. We had a glass of wine, and we looked at Chris Evans, and Anna Ferris. Beautiful. 
Oh, we have we have things to say. We do. We have many things to say. But before we get there, we're going to have to do our movie recap. So unlike in our normal episodes where we have to fit in an episode of Teen Wolf in a minute, in our bonus episodes, we get to see how fast we can each describe <laughs> the plot of the movie we've watched. So Julia, are you ready? The point is speed, but this can go off the rails really quickly. So I'm going to try to rein it in. I mean... I feel like I did one of these in like 45 seconds and yeah. it was crazy, but I never achieved that time again. Can the other, th- like the other ones we did, I'm like, I feel like three minutes. that was the Blair Witch Project where it's just them tromping around in the woods for two hours and bam, 45 seconds. <laughs> <recap>. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, but it's funny. It's not even that much happens in this movie either. I guess, you know what? We won't know until we do it. Are you yeah. ready to do your recap? Yes. Okay. One, two, three. Okay, lights up. Uh, Anna Ferris is in bed with uh, sleeping Zachary Quinto. She gets up and makes herself really pretty before he wakes up, um, a la The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And then he's like, you look really beautiful in the morning, but then he doesn't want to meet her parents because she invites him to her sister's wedding. She goes to her work and gets fired, then goes to the engagement party, um, and she reads an article about how uh, women are sleeping with, like, ten... 0.5 men um, and is like really horrified because her body count is so much higher and talks to her friends about it and they're all <laughs> disgusted for some reason and then she's like well I'm going to go back through all of the men that I've slept through before so they don't have to sleep with anybody new so she befriends her neighbor across the hall Chris Evans who has a name it's Colin um, and she's like I'll help you if you help me because he's really good at internet stalking and then they kind of gradually um get into a friendship as he finds all of these people for her. Um, she goes on quite a series of bad dates with actors that you know and possibly love and does some really cringy, awful things. They play basketball in the garden and then skinny dip in the harbor. And uh, he kind of professes his love for her. Um, and then that doesn't go well because she's like, I don't like you. And then she goes to her sister's wedding and then realizes that she's made a terrible mistake because she has the fancy man and she realizes she doesn't really like him because she makes these weird clay sculptures and he thinks they're dumb. And then she finds him at a wedding and they make up and they kiss and they watch Mexican wrestling. <laughs> that was pretty good. Thank you. That was 124.23. I was like running out of breath as I was doing it and I there's like a lot of minutia in this, like the general plot yeah. Is very simple, but like Martin Freeman is there. Yeah. Anthony Mackie. Andy Samberg. <laughs> Andy Samberg for like two seconds. It's very strange. Um, but also um, a delight. It is a delight. Yeah. Um, and let's see. Are you, Christian, ready to This time? Re- yeah, maybe. Okay. Maybe. And in three, two, one. So Anna Ferris wakes up next to Zachary Quinto and he's kind of an asshole to her and they break up because he sucks. And then she, her uh, neighbor like needs to hide in her apartment or something because he wants to get rid of a one night stand. And then she uh, gets fired from her job and <laughs> she is on the train home and then reads a Marie Claire article that makes her feel really bad about her body count. So she decides that she needs to count all the guys that she slept with. And she goes to her sister's engagement party and gets drunk and makes a dumb speech. And then at her uh, like engagement after party she runs in her boss and sleeps with him and realizes that her body count is now 20 so she decides that she's going to try to find one of her ex-boyfriends to uh marry because apparently if you sleep with 20 dudes you won't find a husband or something like that so she goes on all these crazy adventures and she asks her neighbor colin cringe evans to like help her out like finding these guys because apparently his dad was a cop or something dumb like that and as he's helping her and she's going on these dates like finding these guys she starts to fall in love with him and then he she finds out and he like really likes her and likes her weird like click sculptures and then they play basketball in TD Garden and jump in the harbor (laughs) and then she finds out that he's been withholding like the one name of the guy she really wanted to find so then she kicks him to the curb and then dates that guy his name is Jake and then at her sister's wedding Jake says some like sexist weird bullshit to her and she's like actually you suck and the only person who's ever liked me for me is is Colin and so she runs across town and crashes a bunch of weddings and then finds him and gets on stage with him because he's singing in a wedding band and then they decide they love each other and then uh, they're watching Mexican wrestling and then a, her a different boyfriend calls and tells her that they never actually had sex and she realizes that he's not 21 he's 28 Colin a minute and 36 seconds cool you definitely won but I feel like I had more detail yes yours was less unhinged than mine was shocking um yeah. So that is the gist. It is, yeah. Of what's your number? Um, and meanwhile, people are like, why <laughs> do they like this movie? Well, we'll tell you. I feel compelled to explain because I feel like out of context, I would not understand. When we say body count, we do mean 
how many people have you slept with? Who's not understanding that? I, I'm an idiot, so I just want to share out there with anybody else who might be lost. And also, if you need to pause and take a moment and figure out <laughs> what your vibes are. Um, but yeah, so that is the gist of this movie. It's about two terrible people who do terrible things and find each other and fall in love. As all good rom-coms are about. Well, I think... Well, let's move on to discussing the, our uh, to our main discussion. Um, so first, we're going to talk about what works in this movie. Next, we're going to talk about what doesn't work, talk about some critical reception, talk about what the actors are doing now, and then give it a rating. So talking about what works is, I think, the major, like, the, the normal sort of setup for a rom-com is you either have two really likable people who are faced with outside, outside forces that are bad or two dislikable people who end up falling in love. So like, I guess the first example is crazy rotations and the second would be like 27 dresses. The fact that these are two people who both aren't very good people is great because like not, it's not like their like standards are lower, but they're meeting each other at a much more realistic place. And that is what kind of makes their friendship so interesting before they get together. Like they vibe, the vibes are there. They're pretty much instantaneously really comfortable with each other, which is super refreshing. Um, yeah, I do think that that's something that really works about this film. Yeah. Um, and I think also the, our, it's funny because the auxiliary characters in the movie, I think, work way less than the two main characters. Like, all of the ex-boyfriends are sort of, like, silly, like, um, like archetype deals um so they're less interesting but when you have uh Allie and Colin being both so weird and kind of gross you they're like really fleshed out and I think you said something earlier in our pre-show about how like Allie could easily fit into like the manic pixie dream girl trope and then just doesn't because nothing about her weirdness or her sort of like erraticness is like sexy it's just because she's a human person with weird interests yeah, because Anna Ferris is like small and blonde and she's got this really cute voice um, and she's very endearing. And I I think kind of you could position her as like the blonde Zoe Deschanel um, if we're talking about like archetypes. And so it could very easily have gone in that direction where she's just like so quirky, uh, who she's really quirky and slutty. Um well, I think it's a little different from Zoe Deschanel, who's sort of like, a, I'm a first grade school teacher. Whereas, like, for a lot of Anna Faris's career, she's kind of been written off as like a bimbo, which is why, which is unfortunate because I think Anna Faris is really good. But also, what makes this movie so interesting is that like, she's not like bumbling. She's like has a, a you know a big girl job and these cool hobbies and like a big big group of friends who like all like her and think she's interesting and smart and stuff. You know. Yeah. So I don't find her to be like the sort of Zoe Chanel, I have a ukulele. Yeah, but I, I also think that that was part of like the new girl thing where on the outside she's just pretty and kind of like up in the air, but she is weird and like has very niche interests. Um, and so kind of like subverting that. Yeah, I would have to watch New Girl to agree with that one. Yeah. But just, you know, talking about, like, other, like, the other things, like, The House Bunny is also amazing. True. It's been Um, a very long time since I've seen The House Bunny. It's great. And it's also kind of a rom-com, but mostly just a girl movie. Um, And she is great in it, but, like, is playing somebody who is dumb. And, like, nobody plays a dumb bitch like Anna (laughs) Faris. But it's, like, kind of cool to see her play somebody who's just sort of awkward and weird and funny and not stupid and her apartment is a really great example of how interesting she is as a person i think the the design of this movie like holistically yeah um, really helps to aid in our understanding of who she is which is i think very strange the design of like both of their apartments is actually good because her like they both go down in two steps and hers is like bright and white and airy and like has all these floral patterns and this crazy like crushed velvet floral like yellow couch and like this blue stove and then you go to Colin's apartment which is just across the way and it also goes down some stairs but then into just like a pit of like man apartment (laughs) it's a little gross yeah he has like a a murder board but of her Mm ex-boyfriends on his wall very sexy yeah so what else works um just beyond like the main just beyond Anna Faris's character what else do you want to talk about and what works in this movie 
Um, just in terms of sticking with the characters for a little bit, one of the things that really bothers me in a lot of rom-coms is when there's a conflict between two women that doesn't seem to have any basis in reality, uh, or it's about like family members who just really fundamentally don't like each other. And I really love the relationship between uh, Allie and her sister and kind of the relationship that we see between the sister and her fiance at the wedding. It's not that weird heterosexual, oh, I'm getting married, I hate my wife kind of a thing. Um, all of the people that surround them are like invested and present mm -hmm. as opposed to just being there to cause problems. Yeah. And I think maybe the good sort of um, example that opposes this is 27 dresses, a movie which we both love, but it's a little bit of a similar setup only in the fact that it's like an older sister watching her younger sister get married and at no point does Anna Ferris's character ever resent the fact that her little sister is getting married first. Mm -hmm. She's going with her to all the, like the cake tasting and pick, helping her pick out place cards and picking out her wedding dress. Like it is just support. And like their sort of sister relationship is, is very funny because it's a little bit like it's us against our parents, like mm -hmm. having these crazy parents and stuff. And that is, I so sit so much more like you have, a, you have a sister and I have sisters. That is definitely way, way closer to what's going to be when either of my sisters get married, you know, mm -hmm. it, even if, you know, I'm like, oh, why am I the last to get married? I would never, ever, ever let it seep into their big day. Yeah. I wouldn't take it out on my sibling. Yeah. Um, yeah. And th like the thing about 27 dresses is that at no point is Tess a sympathetic human being. I hate her so much. She's the worst. Yeah. There is no moment where you're like, oh, I understand why they love each other. Uh, I get why she's helping her. I get why she's doing this role for her. Mm -hmm. uh, in 27 dresses, but it's so clear yeah. in this movie. And it's so clear, like what they're both willing to sacrifice for each other. Um, like at, at the end when her sister Daisy, I think is her name tells their mom that she's pregnant to give, uh, Anna Ferris Allie, Allie. Okay. <laughs> Allie. I keep looking like Allie, Anna. Yeah. Give Allie the reason to like leave the wedding, like the big distraction moment so that she can go and find Colin. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's like, so I, I, can, I actually can't even imagine my sisters giving me a reason to leave their wedding, so that's pretty crazy, and it's not that they don't love me, it's just that it's their big day. Yeah, it's very pure, and there's a there's actually a moment in this movie that kind of reminds me of Fleabag a little bit, and the relationship between the sisters in Fleabag, and it's when Daisy, like, basically calls Allie and is like, I have to take a dump. I am going to your apartment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then when she gets there, Colin is like sitting on her couch playing uh, a guitar in the almost nude. And so she like, won't go take a dump because the, he's there. there. Yeah. And Allie has to kick him out. Like it's so <laughs> funny. And so, so real. Yeah. The, I do agree. I, and I think there's a couple sort of flea bag moments in this where it's like, she's less, damaged than Fleabag, obviously. And thank God. Thank God, because this, I, I don't know if I can handle this movie being sad. <laughs> it would be unwatchable. <laughs> yeah. But, it, like, there are moments where you're just kind of like, you have to be kind of a gross human being mm -hmm. to, to let that one go. Yeah. Um, like, the fact that her hair is never washed. <laughs> everyone gross. keeps mentioning that she never washes her hair. She's growing on her bangs. Yeah. Because in, like, 2010, we all had to grow out the side bangs we got in 2007. Or if you were a scene kid, you were just committed to the bit. But I, um, I got, in 2007, I got uh, side bangs and I got my hair highlighted for the first time. And I walked out of the salon and my twin goes... You look like Hannah Montana. And then I wore my bangs up and headband until they grew out. <laughs> I was like so proud of my, like, I like I thought I looked like Natasha Bedingfield and then that was not the case. <laughs> I mean, to be real, we all did want to look like Natasha Bedingfield in yeah. 2007. But I was serving you, Miley Cyrus realness, so... <laughs> It was really bad. Oh, yeah, Hannah no, Montana. Yeah, and just just weird stuff like that, um, and like also just like sort of guys that she has 
like collected along the way are a little flea baggy where they're all just sort of like there's just something off about them like like, the first guy's a magician that's automatically a red flag (laughs) every single one of them is like the rat toothed man yeah every single one of them yeah if you haven't watched fleabag you're missing a lot of references here, but also, what are you doing? The episodes are half an hour long, and you had a full quarantine. <laughs> yeah, get to it. Yeah. Um, but actually, kind of in the vein of Fleabag, another thing that uh, literally just occurred to me is how how this movie really sidesteps slut-shaming. Because the premise is that if you sleep with more than 20 men, you're not going to find a husband. And that in and of itself is kind of like, mm. it is exactly what you would have read in Marie Claire in 2010 though. It sure is. But it's not like, I think that Allie does feel some shame about it, but I think like the deep rooted concern that she has is that she's not going to find like a long-term love. Yeah. It's less about how she feels about her own sexuality and more about how she's worried other people will perceive it. Yes. She's not, she's, is, and you can kind of tell in the way that she tells all of her friends and tells Colin, like, her body count. She's not ashamed of having slept with all those people. Like, and she even says, like, if one of them works out, it means a part of my life wasn't, you know, a waste or something like that. Like, she doesn't, she wants to think good about all of that. But she also knows how people react to when she tells them. Like, in the bar scene, when her friends are like, oh my god, Ellie. Mm -hmm. Which is like. I don't know. I feel like if you were sitting at a, in a bar with all your girlfriends and one of them was like, guys, I have slept with 20 people. You'd be like, yeah, good for you, you big slut. <laughs> you big slut, good for Woo-hoo. you. <laughs> but that's also 2020. Yeah. Um, but I'm actually, like, the more that I think about it, I feel like if this movie weren't set up in that way, it would be a conceit that I couldn't really excuse away because I'd be like, mm, the slut shame was just not for me. But it really isn't. Is it? Yeah. It is, it, it, and I almost feel like, I mean, I guess I wasn't really maybe as keyed into what, like, the the rhetoric was happening at this time, but it does feel like it predates the sort of, um, like, like, this sort of, like, a, um, perception of sexual freedom we're seeing now. I think so, because in 2011, I was a junior in high school, and I think, like, I remember very vividly reading, like, Jessica Valenti's double standards book and learning about like sex positivity and all of that was very new to me and granted I was in high school but I do think that you know being plugged into the internet like you're aware of the cultural conversation that's going on and so that does feel appropriate for the time like it it, we were like dipping our toes. Yeah, I mean, I remember reading that stuff too because I was in high school as well but I actually just think that like there is a case we're in rom-coms are about five years before the year they came out that's true yeah yeah i I see what you're saying um and and we'll we'll have more like comparisons to other movies that we can be like oh that didn't that wasn't even really appropriate in the year that came out um because that's just sort of the way that humor sort of resonates in rom-coms too which is unfortunate um and even in the rom-coms that come out now people are like oh that was a little uh." i mean but also shut up and enjoy the movie not if it's really problematic, but I mean, like, if you're picking apart to all the boys I've loved before, being like, this is problematic. Oh my god, just have a good time. Just have a good it's time. It's so sweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what else works about this movie? What else do we want to talk about? Um, I... We haven't talked about Colin. Yeah. Let go, go right ahead. I can't believe that that guy is so endearing for being as big of a dirtbag as he is. He's not even very nice, and I'm like... No, I totally get why she likes him. Yeah, I think that once he decides, like, and he commits to being first her friend and then someone who is, like, really invested in her romantically, he really steps up and he takes notice of the things that are important to her, which is, like, I know it's such a low bar, but that is very attractive. No, it is. And it's funny because I also think the most interesting part about their relationship is how comfortable they are with each other so quickly. And in part it is because the first time she ever makes eye contact with him, it's because he's standing naked outside of his apartment. And it isn't a moment where either of them are like, oh shit. And like Mm -hmm. turn away. They're both just like, 
this might as well happen. <laughs> like they're very comfortable immediately because I think that's a little bit of like a game recognized game situation of us both being like disaster humans. And she can't even have the double standard of him, of her being like, why are you hiding in my apartment while kicking that girl out? Because she has just kicked out Joel McHale. <laughs> true and when he picks her up and kisses her it is so <laughs> unbelievably funny because joel McHale is like six foot a million and on ferris is so tiny <laughs> it's also just like not even a struggle for him to pick her up he just does it. it he just does it and it's not like it, it also she's not like oh put me down it's really just like oh that's oh it just happened this might as well happen yeah exactly um so I, I do think that Colin is, is a, a, just a great sort of counterpart for her. Like, mm-hmm. with all of these other people who she's dealing with, like, especially when she starts dating Jake at the end and, like, all of her, her like, her sister who seemingly has this, like, perfect relationship and her friends who are, like, married or whatever, like, everybody seems to be just, like, doing life the right way. So for the person of her to run into doing life the exact way she's doing it is great. And he... Loves her. <laughs> and he loves her really quickly. Like, it's such a, it, I think this is the term that you use while we were watching it is that, like, it's an equalizer. They're on the same footing the whole movie. Like, there's not a weird power dynamic between the two of them. They're both. Except for when they play basketball. The power <laughs> dynamic is good. It invented feminism. It invented um, feminism. Yeah, I think, I think one of the ways that you can tell that a rom com is, like, really successful or, that one element is really successful is like the moment that one person does something for another person that just like sticks in your mind. And for me, that's when he lights up her clay sculptures. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, that's just so unbelievably touching. Like the fact that he took the time to light them as though they were in like a gallery, a, a gallery. And the best part is he says he does it because she sounded sad on the phone. Yes. So like what, what would that be in like love languages? It's not, it's uh, acts of service. I think so, yeah. Yeah. That's what I would say. Like, the, I don't know if you ever saw The Age of Adeline. No. You don't have to. It's, cool. It's fine. But Is that Blake Lively? Yes. I do like her. And there's this one part where they're going on a date, and he hands her this stack of, like, vintage books, like, tied up in a ribbon, and he's like, I got you flowers. And all of the books have, like, flower names in their title. And I don't know why I was, like, so taken with that, because the rest of the movie is not good but but again like like things because they're fun yeah like things because they're fun but it's it's just those like little moments uh case in point the hand flex in pride and prejudice it's not a cert it's not a thing that he does for her but it is an example of how much Much he loves loves her her. that hand flex i will think about for my entire life (laughs) every once in a while i see like the slow-mo gif like just yeah. walking past my brain. Or it's funny because people will be like, people will be like, talk to my crush today and then tweet the gif of the hand flex because everyone kind of knows that it's like, oh. Hand, yeah. Yeah. But when I look at like him lighting those sculptures that she's made, also she's a phenomenal ceramic artist. Yes. You're like, oh, that is, that is how, you understand that he hand flexes when he sees her, not in actually hand flexing, but that's how he feels about her. And like, that's so... So cute. Yeah, and he goes on to like continue being that considerate. Like after they spend the night together, not sleeping together, but they've like slept in the same bed. He's like, "I'm gonna make huevos rancheros, mm-hmm. and we're gonna watch Mexican wrestling because he clearly knows she likes those things." Yeah, and this is all after he took her to go play horse in TD Garden and jump in the harbor. Like he has done so much for her throughout. It's like probably the, that would be like top ten best dates ever in existence not like in Mm -hmm. your life like in the world (laughs) yes we're including other people's dates yeah uh yeah i think the i think his physical comedy and presence it's very very good yeah um and it leads us to the best scene in the movie the invention of feminism the basketball scene (laughs) I know. I remember the first time we watched this together, you had mentioned that this basketball scene reminded you of the bad Catwoman movie. Oh, yes, it does, because there is an almost identical scene. It is not identical. It's not identical because they're playing it in a schoolyard with children, so they're obviously not stripping. But No, she, and, she, and they're not really playing against each other. She just sort of shows off. Yeah, but it's still like a look at me, I'm good at basketball. It's a moment where they're like acknowledging that 
uh, they are interested in each other. And that is another terrible movie that I love. The Catwoman movie. Love bad movies. Um, so I was really shocked to see this uh, scene in this movie because they came out very pretty far apart. I'm pretty sure the Catwoman came out in like 2003. Yeah. So um, I was kind of surprised, but I also think that What's Your Number did it better. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. And it's so uh, campy and ridiculous. Like, it's one thing to go be like, oh, like, or when we were in, in college, like, the big thing to do was go break into the big house. And people do it all the time, and they're never going to stop doing it, and you can't stop people from breaking into Michigan Stadium. But you just really go and you take pictures. Mm-hmm. They could just break into the garden and, I don't know, have a picnic or like enjoy their time there. But the fact that he's like, we're playing horse is hilarious. (laughs) One, because he thinks that he's going to have the upper hand because he's, you know, big tough man, dude. And he's Mm -hmm. six feet tall. But the fact that she's so good at basketball. Unbelievable. (laughs) Also the entire time they're happening, her dress is safety pinned together. Yes. And he assumes that because they're playing strip horse, oh, she'll be naked in a second because I can play basketball. And he's wearing so many clothes. (laughs) And the fact that he's the one who ends up mostly naked is so good. So funny. Uh, I love this scene. The Black Eyed Peas are playing. I want to make a note right now. I don't think that, like, pop music makes its way into, like, rom-coms or, like, these type of movies anymore the way it used to. And we've been talking a lot about John Tucker Must Die, which, oh, the soundtrack. And I'm like, how are the kiddos supposed to know who the (laughs) All-American Rejects are if we're not putting pop music in teen movies anymore? This is not a teen movie in rom-coms anymore. Uh, Shout out to the All-American Rejects. Um, Yeah, I think that's one of the things that's, missing because it gives the rom-com a like it grounds it in a time and a play like you know exactly when it's happening and kind of like what the vibe of the world was at that point mm-hmm. which is important I think that's important especially I think in teen movies um to like give a sense of what l- your life was like in high school via the music uh, yeah, but I also think that there's situations where this is happening in like really good movies of the time, like you know in uh, the Devil Wears Prada when it's the montage where she's like walking around all the cars and every time she walks by something her clothes change. Oh yes, and suddenly I see is playing. Yeah, perfect example. It's like a song that grounds it in the time as if the fashion didn't, and it doesn't distract from anything, and it's fun because you recognize that time from that movie. Mm-hmm. And now when you watch movies like this, it's like, it's usually like sort of radio friendly techno, which is fine, but which it's is not, fine, but it's, it's not as fun. It's not as grounded. Yeah. And I don't really, it's not like I need these things to tell me how to feel. It's literally just to like, I think soundtracking is important. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like when you think about like your favorite movies, odds are there's songs in it that you like love and record. Like I always think about, um, like I know you don't particularly like Juno, but the reason, a big reason is why I like Juno is it's like full of like Kimmy Dawson music that is like really rememberable, memorable. Well, and, and well, that's why, and I think that's part of the reason why Juno was so successful is because people were so invested in the music, mm-hmm. uh, for sure. Or, but I mean, even like, iconic uh soundtracks that get made like we're not even just talking about pop music like pirates of the caribbean would be nowhere near as successful without its soundtrack like music matters yeah and that's why it's really fun to hear the black eyed peas when they're playing basketball (laughs) and that's not even the only like recognizable song in the movie yeah there there are quite a few yeah Um, that that is just like that is the rom-com moment of this movie and it's so funny it's, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> Why is she so good at basketball? <laughs> it's so good. It at no point is like uh, is either of them uncomfortable with what's going on. They both signed up for it. He is getting his ass kicked, which he didn't realize was going to happen. But they're having so much fun. Yeah, and it's also like I th- I think I mentioned this earlier, like about like the physical repartee that they develop early on. Like there's a, a scene where um. She's trying to get him to go away because she doesn't want to tell him that she's been faking a British accent the whole time she's known Martin Freeman's character. And so they're sort of doing like a little like hissy fit slap fight. And it's like, 
they're not hurting each other in any way, but they are comfortable being like, get out of my space. Yeah. And then when they're sort of fighting, like playing basketball and stuff, it is like way more flirtatious at that point. But it's also like these people are so comfy around each other. And that's another thing where you, it's like fun to watch them because I, well, a big thing is like one of the, when it's like the rom-coms where it's like two people who are like both curmudgeony and have to be like brought together is like, they are uncomfortable around each other until they get together. Mm-hmm. But the good part of this is that these people are very comfortable around each other and that's why they get together. Uh, yeah. I think one of the other reasons I, I really like the basketball scene and one of the reasons why I really like this movie kind of in general is I am well aware that like conflict is what makes stories interesting but I feel like after scenes like that, I am always waiting for the shoe to drop, like for there to be a big problem or for that to be the part where it all goes wrong. Um, and that, I mean, there's a conflict in this movie. Mm-hmm. She basically tells him that she doesn't think he's serious and she wants to marry someone serious. Um, and she reverse Elwood's him. <laughs> yeah. She dumps him. It's, it's sad. Um, so there is that conflict, but it's not like, I think when, uh, John finds out that what's her name, well, who's the main character in John Parker must die? Brittany Snow. Yeah. When Brittany Snow's ca- when he finds out that Brittany Snow's character, like has just been stringing him along the whole time. Like that is so uncomfortable to watch. I have such a hard time with that particular scene. And I find this movie really watchable, even though there is conflict. Yeah. Part of the reason why John Tucker must die is hard to watch now is because it actually is kind of cringy. Oh, it's cringy and deeply problematic. And we'll and we'll get to the cringe of this movie soon because mm-hmm. um, there's plenty of it. Yeah. But. Um, but yeah, I also think, and we were talking about this. One of the things that really succeeds about this movie is the fact that it's rated R. Oh yeah, they couldn't pull this off if it were PG thirteen. Yeah. At all, there's so much ass in this movie. Yeah. There's so many people's butts there's just a lot. hanging out. There's a lot of naked. There's a lot of bad language. And the conversations that people are having in this movie because it's PG-13 are so much more realistic of the conversations you're having with your friends at the bar when you're in your 20s, 30s. And I think that's what make it, makes it way more watchable for us because... As adults. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know if, if when this movie came out, I understood everything that was happening. I mean, I understood it on, like, the, like conceptual level but like the actual interactions that you're having with like people you've known for a really long time or whatever aren't quite as secure when you're in high school and then to rewatch it now is like yes this is what all of my friends from college are like and um and yeah I just I think also think that like you couldn't if if this movie were PG-13 it would be slut shamey I agree I also think that you they probably could have gone a bit further with an R rating, but also I think last considered. time we watched it, we watched the unrated version, which is longer. I don't, I, yes, you do. You do remember the last time we watched it because that was the time where we watched, like Andy Samberg has a bigger part in it. Where yeah. Go, Andy Samberg's in this movie. Yeah. Where they go to the park and actually see his puppet show. And he just asks about Daisy. Uh, that I do not remember. Yes. Oh, I know we watched this together. I know we watched the unrated version together. It's longer and there's more. I have a terrible memory, but I, I do believe you. Um, I, I think that, I think often when you have an R rating on a movie, it can get gross really quickly. And it is crazy how ungross this is. It's so ungross. It stay, it really stays above the fray in that sense, but it makes good use of what having an R rating would allow you to do. Yeah, and I think we have always talked about how this is the best sex scene that never happens. Oh, <laughs> right? It's so sexy. So in, in the movie, when they get back from jumping in the harbor, it's like clear that like it's about to go down, and he just slowly unbuttons the shirt that she's had to borrow from him because she's left the dress that Anthony Mackie gave her on the basketball hoop (laughs) (laughs) in the garden. And it's really soft. It's really quiet. And then once they're actually in on the bed, she's like, Oh, I can't do this because I need to take control of my life. And he's just like, okay, I'm going to keep kissing you. That's it. And it's like, Oh, respecting boundaries in a really weird way because these people don't respect <laughs> anyone's boundaries, but it's so good. And like, it's something that the way it's filmed and the light, like it's really like yellow light filtering through the window. The fact that he's so much taller than her, it's so good. It's very, it's so romance. It's, it's shocked. It's soft. It's yeah. Very shocked. Uh, I'm a big fan. It's, 
it's romantic. And, like, I feel like very little of this movie is actually classically the way that you would think of romance. Yeah. Um, but that moment is, like, very tender. and It's so soft. It's a, and they're still the same scumbag people that they were two minutes ago, but it's, (laughs) but they're having a moment, but they belong, they're scumbags who belong to each other. And then when they wake up the next morning and she's about to like, go do her whole, like try to look cute in the morning routine. He just, before she even gets up to do it, he's like, you just look beautiful in the morning. And it's like, oh, and love angels, both of them. No, (laughs) no, they're terrible, but they do love each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's very sweet. Should we move on to what doesn't work about this movie? Sure. Um, it's dated. <laughs> it's incredibly dated. It's so it's weird. It's funny because we were like, oh, it's so progressive for its time, but it still came out in 2011. <laughs> I think what dates it, and unfortunately, this is the curse of a lot of movies that came out kind of in the in-between time, between like, oh, cell phones are a thing that people are just now starting to have, and then like maybe some people that you know have an iPhone, and now like... That technology is so ubiquitous, and I feel like a lot of movies from that particular era, like the early 2010s, really suffer from looking very dated in a technological sense. And it's crazy how much that impacts the way you view the time of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird when she confuses their phones because they have different phones. In 2011? Whereas now, if I pick up your phone, it's because I you it, thought it was because everyone has an iPhone, yeah, yeah. and or a, like a smartphone. Mm-hmm. Um. But some of the jokes, so I think it, I think it, the movie is mostly dated and actually when she goes back to all of the exes, like there's all something slightly <laughs> a little off about when she's hunting down these people. Mm-hmm. Um, except for the magician. <laughs> that's like the most like, so on, funny. that one's just on brand. Cause I feel like everybody knows and knows somebody with an ex like that or has an ex like that. And when she's like, and he keeps the quarter, he pulls out of your ears. Like. <laughs> we all know a scumbag like that gross but like the thing with um with uh chris pratt disgusting donald uh, there's a fat phobic there's a flashback scene where they're both they're both in fat suits and Um, they're bad fat suits they're bad fat suits and also this is like kind of weird because i feel like chris pratt uh, was still in his Parks and Rec phase. I, when did Guardians come out? Later. I do not care. Later. We do, we do not care. I'm never watching we it. It's a boy like movie. Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, don't at us. But, uh, yeah, it's a little fat phobic. There's a really strange comment about uh, Julie from college, who's a man now. She looks good. It, 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 it's <laughs> That one is really hard because there was absolutely no conversation about pronoun usage in, or, or I mean, don't want to say there was none. There obviously was, but not in the public, yeah, you know, sphere. Um, and I can't tell if they're trying to be. I can't tell if it was trying to be progressive and being like, oh, Anna Ferris's character is maybe gay and like bi or bisexual or in, in some way. And then just dropped the ball. Like, I don't, I, I can just, I know that that comment was not supposed to be the, at the expense of trans people. It just inadvertently was. Yeah, And that is, I think, part of what dates it. Because I think a lot of times when you watch a movie and you're like, oh, that's a really dated comment. It's because, not that people didn't know any better, but because the wider conversation hadn't happened. Hadn't and happened. if we talk about the stuff in, like, John Tucker Must Die and so many movies that came out in 2005, which I swear to God was the year of homophobia, mm-hmm. those are pointedly homophobic jokes that you were talking about. I don't think this was supposed to be that. I think it was just supposed to be, like, a... It is it is in a, no way mean-spirited. Yeah. Yeah. It just is not correct. <laughs> And it's if you were weird. offended by it, that's a totally valid thing. Because, mm-hmm. we, we, I mean, we sat there and we're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. The, yeah, there are some things that really make you cringe. I think the, I think the stuff with Anthony Mackie is actually, I think Anthony Mackie is kind of so charming that it a little makes up for it. He looks like such a little baby. I know, he, he looks does. so little. Um, but I don't, like, and I don't even think that that, I don't even think that that was, that was definitely not supposed to be a comment on, that was also not supposed to be homophobic. It was supposed to be like, I don't know. I, I, it was a comment on like 
her not being able to recognize her not being able to recognize it and also him like being like a republican who is using her for political gain yeah um i mean there are just so many people in the world who think that all politicians are scumbags so valid Um, joke yeah um um, it's funny that the ex that turns out to be least cringy is the gynecologist who recognizes her by her vagina. <laughs> I hate that so much. I love it. I think it's so funny. Especially when she's walking up the stairs and she has the horrible fake tan. She's like, he recognized me by my vagina. What's going on down there? <laughs> I just like, I cannot imagine how mortified i would be <laughs> in that situation and uh in fairness your gynecologist can probably recognize you by your vagina i don't i i mean i, I really think yeah <laughs> i really think they could um i'll have to ask <laughs> next time <laughs> I don't have, hey, like, before a- I go, I do have a quick question. No, I'm not trying to make a follow-up appointment. But if you, like, you know, line up. <laughs> I do not have a good rebuttal to that, but I do just think that it's wrong. Okay. <laughs> they're not, like, fingerprints. No, but they're all different. Yes, but... Anyway... If you only have, like, a set number of patients you're seeing, mm. as you would in a private practice, you'd know. But I think the implication was that he has <laughs> just uh, is a creep, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that he recognized her vagina from the years, sex. From years ago. <laughs> yeah. No, obviously, I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, Oh, just so strange. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all of the exes... Um, are very cringy. Yeah. The worst, I think the worst, and you would agree with me, back me up on this, uh, is the fake British accent. I can't watch that scene. That is actually too cringe. I can't do it. Because Martin Freeman just happens to be in this movie, and Anna Ferris pretends that she can do a British accent, and it is horrendous. It is so bad. Well, the thing about that is that I think a big base of like cringe is in in the not in the way where you're like not in the mean fifteen year old girl way where you're like that's cringy. The way where you sort of cringe for people is secondhand embarrassment, and that is the most secondhand embarrassment we see in the movie. Yes, I would agree. I I'm not a big fan of the secondhand embarrassment. No, it, you know what's funny about Martin Freeman is that he's so much older than all of the other exes. Yeah, he really is. And also, I was shocked to see him in this movie the first time that it happened because I was like, he not fit. prepped. He yeah. does not fit within. That's like, it. I do love <laughs> Martin Freeman. Like, yeah, well, like a lot of the some of the boyfriends are actors you wouldn't recognize, and then some of them have just become like astronomically famous. And so you're like, I what is that? Yeah, like man I, doing like here? Chris Pratt was famous by at by this point, but not as famous as he is now. No. Anthony Mackie was like relatively well known at this point. Oh, Anthony Mackie had already done Eight Mile and the Hurt Locker at this point. Like Anthony Mackie was famous, but not as famous as he was after So the key is actually Marvel. <laughs> Does this movie with Martin Freeman and Anthony Mackie and Chris Evans and Chris Pratt count as being in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yeah, too. And if you disagree, you're wrong. Sorry, they're all in it, so. They're they're all in it. This is a really weird, like, <laughs> Falcon Captain America prequel. <laughs> you know, the Marvel Universe gets a lot better if you start considering the Hurt Locker a really weird Falcon <laughs> and Hawkeye prequel. Interesting. Um... Yeah, the cringe element is something that you definitely have to work through. I but think. I also think that cringe is still pretty much a major like device in a lot of comedy mm-hmm. that you still is coming out now. Yeah, well, okay, I'm and always like I don't think it's going away. I just think that this is makes us uncomfy. But like, okay, so the example of secondhand embarrassment that comes most readily to mind is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is a show that I love and I think is so important and so artistically ambitious and very cool and saying a lot of really interesting things about the time that we live in and women and mental health. Um, And a lot of the time it is so, the secondhand embarrassment is so 
so, so, so strong that it's really hard to watch. Um, but ultimately, it's rewarding because mm-hmm. you're watching characters go through some kind of growth. And I think that's part of what redeems this movie as well in terms of the cringe factor. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, you know, I also think that there is a way to make things really funny without it being a second, like without secondhand embarrassment. And that's to not have the characters be embarrassed by it. Like in part, it's always sunny in Philadelphia is funny (laughs) because these characters are despicable, horrible, awful, disgusting people and are therefore unfazed by other people's opinions of them. But like the reason why the cringe is so strong in this movie is that Anna Ferris is really embarrassed by the fact that she messes up her British accent and mm-hmm. is embarrassed that he recognizes her by her vagina and uh, is embarrassed by the very, very tight dress that Tim, is that his character's name? Anthony Mackie? Is it Tom? Tom sounds more likely, but I genuinely don't remember. Mm, I don't know. Like, very embarrassed by the dress she's wearing. Like, she's somebody who's very susceptible to the opinion, by the, like, of the opinions of other people. I think that's a comment that um, a lot of plot lines that involve like women going on dates comment on is like it, it takes a lot of bravery to be that embarrassed all the time and then to continue to put yourself out there yeah um there's a really horrible 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 i don't know how many times i can say the word horrible movie called he's just not that into you oh um, yes of course <laughs> why are you did you got have you guys ever heard of he's just not that into you have you ever heard of it yeah okay continue that little movie that little movie <laughs> that little indie movie <laughs> with like jennifer aniston um and that's like that's a whole monologue that one of the characters gives and it's like I might be an idiot and I might be embarrassing myself, but I'm like closer to finding love than people who don't try. Like the sincerity is really uncomfortable to watch, but it also is rewarding in the end. I mean, we always joke like trying is really embarrassing. Trying is embarrassing. If you're a person who tries, it's embarrassing. But if if you're a person who tries, you're going to succeed a lot more than people who don't. Yeah. So which is also like, it gives you a good reason to root for, it's funny because we started being like, this movie doesn't work. And now we're like back to being like, good for Anna (laughs) Ferris. Yeah. What does, actually what does work? You know what doesn't work? A lot of the dialogue. Some of it's really good. Some of it is very bad. It, it definitely feels like they got on set and people started messing with the script yeah it feels like this script saw several hands which we know it has two writers credits um which two isn't abnormal in any way but i'm wondering if you know one person wrote it another person came through and edited it and made changes it it doesn't always feel like it's coming from the same voice and it's pretty obvious because some of it's very clunky particularly in the main uh conflict and fight scene between colin and Allie, where Uh, she's basically calling him a schmuck and he's like, you're full of shit. Um, And it's just really like their dialogue up until that point has been kind like playful banter. And then I think like, it's like a switch flipped and you're watching this like drama. It turns into a soap opera. It's really weird. weird. Yeah. And there's a couple moments like that where you're like, Oh God, that line just didn't fit the rest of this conversation. Yes. Yeah, it's um, clunky, I think is the best word to yeah. describe it. Like, I think if it had saw one, like just one person who was like, I'm going to go through and make it like just one really good edit, it would have been like, just just to pick out those lines that don't work, because you could read them on page and be like, oh my God, who says that? Mm-hmm. It kind of, it messes with the tone of the film and the consistency of like the intelligence of the characters. Yeah. Cause like these, these despite being like bad people, <laughs> they're not horrendous, but they don't always act in anyone's best interest. It's like Colin's really smart. Colin is doing a crazy amount of work to help Ellie like find these people. And Ellie's also really smart. She, the only reason why Ellie has all this time to be stupid is because she got fired for no reason from a job she was probably good at like at a big company like Allie has skills and like real life you know stuff and she's always talking about college so presumably she's well educated um yeah we're not meant to think that these characters are stupid so when that stuff happens it's like mm, that doesn't sound right these people are smarter than that it, it rings very false yeah um which is really disappointing because it makes what is a really charming movie 
into something that you can kind of sit and pick apart. Yeah. Not that there aren't other reasons to be able to pick this movie apart. <laughs> I mean, which we are currently yes. doing. Yeah. But for that doesn't us help. For others. No, it doesn't. Um, anything else you want to talk about that doesn't really work? Uh, we covered everything that I wrote down. Cool. I, did, I didn't have anything either. I just wanted to know if you had any like last minute. This sucked. I don't think it's like hot cinema, but I know. No, do. of course <laughs> it's not. It's, it's, it's not supposed to be. No, it is not. And not everything is supposed to be. Yeah, I just, uh, you know what? And I think this is a dialogue issue too. Hmm. I don't think she has the best friends. I told you that there are three friends in her friend group who I'd want to hang out with and the other three really suck. They, I mean, they get like 10 seconds of screen time each. So it's not, there's not a lot of opportunities to make them like fully rounded human beings, but three of them are particularly heinous. And in a movie that's relatively sex positive, the friends just kind of come in and they're like, um, I just like, I just don't think that you should be like sleeping with more people. I can't believe. When they call Colin her rapey neighbor Colin, which I know that that is how people just described like men with bad vibes in the day, but you don't do that now. Never. No. Um, that is reserved for actual (laughs) awful people. Yeah. Um, also there's truly nothing about him other than just kind of being a player that comes off as weird. Yeah. And like also, sitting in his underwear next to her sister is a little uncomfy, but that is the only interaction that anybody, uh, any of these people have with him. Also, her sister burst into that apartment while he was there, presumably. So it's not like he came out, took off all his clothes, clothes and sat down on the couch. Yeah, which, yeah. You know, there's nothing about Colin's character that would lead us to believe that these women have met him, first of all. And also that he would have given off such a bad impression because he, he is doesn't give so off, charming. Yeah, he is charming. He doesn't give off predatory vibes. He gives off fuckboy vibes. Yeah, which Very are... Very different. They can intersect, but they're very different. You should probably stay away from both, but one, one is, is significantly less dangerous. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that kind of wraps up what I have wrong with the movie. Um, now, let's talk a little bit about uh, cultural impact and <laughs> critical reception. This movie, as we have discussed before, <laughs> has like a 24% on Rotten Tomatoes. And like Rotten Tomatoes doesn't actually mean anything or count. But that does mean that uh, critically, critically, people did not love it. You know, I was kind of just scrolling through the little snippets that they pull out on Google for you, and the general consensus seems to be that both Anna Ferris and Chris Evans are extremely charming, and that it that alone cannot save the movie from the rest of its many flaws, which I think is a fair criticism to make. Yeah. Um, but like I said. People just don't know how to have fun. And I will say that I think that criticism has kind of changed its tune in the last couple of years in that sense. Because I remember when Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again came out. And there were so many critics that I saw being like, if you hate this movie, you hate having fun. I'm not sitting here saying that it's a good movie or that it's like, incredible cinema but if you didn't have a good time it's because you didn't want to have a good time so i think people's attitudes are changing a little bit yeah and i think i think you could even see with like you know the big blockbusters that are coming out with you know 90 percent on around mm-hmm. tomatoes again around tomatoes doesn't counter matter but, but it means that people are coming are meeting that movie at the where the movie is meeting them, you know? They, you're going to review a superhero movie for a superhero movie. You're going to re- review Fast and Furious for Fast and Furious. If you're coming in to review a rom-com, you should review it as a rom-com. You can't sit there and be like, well, you know, it wasn't Titanic. Of course it's not Titanic. <laughs> Shut up. Nothing is Titanic. And it's interesting because... <laughs> could you imagine, like, this movie coming out now with how famous everybody in it is now and like they were all famous then but like how famous Mm -hmm. everybody is 10 years from then and it getting that that rating uh yes but only because he's just not that into you a similar problem and also valentine's day those movies are chock full of extremely famous people but valentine's day is a ridiculously unwatchable movie and this is is like he's just not that into you yeah but this is like watchable 
Yeah. But I'm just, the reason why yeah. we can sit down and watch it for a second time and talk about it on the podcast. Yeah. I mean, I do wonder, like, I do wonder what the reception would be. Who's to say? Yeah. Who can ever we be had sure? had a time machine re-release it. Hilarious that we have a where are they now section in our movie podcast because... You know. They're all in Marvel movies. <laughs> Anna Ferris is actually in a really good sitcom with Allison Janney called Mom. Um, I love those two together. They're Yeah, and that delightful. show that show I think gets pretty good reviews. And my mom likes it, so You know it's good. Nope. <laughs> but <laughs> You know someone likes you it. You know someone likes it. I mean, I guess we could look it up. We didn't do any research or no, anything like we that. We didn't. Um and then obviously Chris Evans is Captain America and Captain America no longer. Oh, yeah. But, but now Anthony Mackie's Captain America, and he's also in this movie. So. And um, then Martin Freeman was the white guy in Black Panther, and I think Sherlock was still going on at the time this came out. Yeah. Actually, does this predate Sherlock? Vamp, and I will look it up. Oh, my God. There's not that many people. Andy Samberg is clearly doing well. Andy Samberg um, also but Andy got... Samberg was doing well when this came out. Like, this is kind of when the Lonely Island stuff was taking off. Um, he was on SNL. Yeah, at the time. Um, Chris Pratt clearly had a crazy boom in his career. Um, this was a year after Sherlock. Sherlock. Okay. Um, I would also say that everybody in this movie has only gotten hotter. Good for them. Yeah. Um, Anna Ferris is just going to stay hot. She's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really kind of interesting to see kind of where all this went. Because I also feel like a lot of these people haven't touched back into a movie like this since this happened. And part of that is because they, again, we discussed earlier, like they're not really making rom-coms like they used to. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be really weird. I think it'd be really strange to see like Chris Evans in a rom-com now. He's, uh, he's busy playing yeah. a serious lawyer, man. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I would really enjoy seeing him in a rom-com. I'd love it. You know, me and my sister uh, always talk about how we really want Jennifer Garner and uh, Mark Ruffalo to do like a late in life rom-com together because there is n- there actually is no greater rom-com than, than 13, 13 going, going on 30. 30. I mean, I know I love this movie, but like 13 going on 30 is so good and their chemistry is so good. And I would love to see them do like a rom-com now. Yeah. I endorse that. Right. A lot. Um, so maybe in like five years, Chris Evans and Anna Faris can do like Come on back. A later in life rom-com, yeah. Yeah, bring back the rom-com, I think is the general consensus here. I think people are really starting to miss them. And we do, like, we do have Crazy Rich Asians, and we do have To All the Boys I Love Before, but I do think that there's, like, a distinction between teen rom-coms and adult rom-coms. Clearly, this movie is rated R. It is not for the To All the Boys I've Loved Before crowd. No, but to all the boys I've loved before is still for the what's your number crowd. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's it's cool, cool that these rom-coms are, like, coming out and stuff on Netflix, so they're, like, accessible. Um, but I, like, would love just to go – I love a good popcorn flick, you know? Mm-hmm. As much as I love, like, going to go see, like, the art cinema at, like, the tiny theater in our neighborhood that, like, sells craft beer, I also love going to the Megaplex and just seeing stuff like this because it's fun. It's, yeah, it's it's why you you know continue because you, you know, Julia loves Gilmore Girls. It's why you watch Gilmore Girls on top of watching whatever on HBO. I don't think Gilmore Girls is the reference to pull from there because Gilmore Girls is excellent, and I'm not just saying that because I love it. But yes, okay, <laughs> um, yeah, no, there's like things don't have to be prestige to be good, and they don't have to be prestige to be fun. Yeah, and in fact, a lot of prestige. Not fun. Yeah. My twin sister has a thing, and I really think that she's right. Most movies are bad. Most movies are just bad. And if you watch, like, the classic movies channel, you'll understand that all those classic movies, most of them, are bad. There's one Casablanca. (laughs) And so throughout history, you're going to have a bunch of bad movies, but the reason why they stick around is because they are fun or interesting for some reason. So as other rom-coms fall into the ether, we're sitting here talking about what's your number. Yeah, I mean, all they're, all movies are bad. Most movies are bad. But they still made a sequel to Hot Tub Time Machine, did they not? So Wait, what? I'm pretty sure they, they did? did. You Google that. I'm pretty sure they did. Um, also, like, 
Yeah, well, most of the Marvel cast was doing What's Your Number. Sebastian Stan was like, I will do Hot Tub Time Machine. Yeah, there was a sequel. Hot Tub Time Machine 2 was released five years later. So it wasn't like they were really riding high off the success of Hot Tub Time Machine. They were like, yeah, let's make another one five years later. Awesome. I'm in. Wow. All right. Do you want to give, give this movie a rating? All right, so so we have a what we think this movie should be rated if we were movie critics, which we're not. But I don't know. We have a podcast, so maybe we can call ourselves that. <laughs> critically, 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 I'm gonna give this a C plus. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a B minus. Wavering on a solid C. Yeah. Um, personally, A minus. I really enjoy this movie. It's definitely something that I can come back to. It's not at any point gonna like sneak its way into. Uh, my tried and true, like beloved rom coms, but I do I do really like it. Yeah, I give it. I mean, I also came at this with a higher appreciation of it anyway because I remember seeing it mm-hmm. way back when, ten years ago. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, so I'm gonna critically, I'd give it a B minus. Personally, I'll give it an A. I love it. It's fun. It's just it's just it's good 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 brain candy. It's cotton candy fluff. And we, we do but with, love. But without any of the, like, overly fluffiness. Like, it's cotton candy, but it's a bad flavor. <laughs> Are there bad flavors have you seen, cotton candy? Have you discuss? seen the girl on TikTok who has a cotton candy machine? And she'll be like, will this cotton candy? And then she'll crush up something that's, like, hard. And he'll be like, will this cotton candy? Cough drops. And the guy, she makes cough drop cotton candy. I hate that. <laughs> yeah, this would be like, and I don't mean because the movie's not good. I just mean it's not as fluffy as like so many of the rom-coms we love. It's yes. actively not fluffy, and that's why it's cough drop cotton candy. It's, it's grunge cotton candy, it is if you gr- will. It is, yeah, it's, you know, in Shrek. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that is an entirely different podcast. Oh, we're totally doing Shrek as a bonus episode. <laughs> I think we have to. Uh, yeah, it's we cannot let it go uncommented upon. Shrek <laughs> no. 1 and 2, but the rest of them don't exist. No. Um, on that note, I think we have to wrap it up. <laughs> Guys, if you have been waiting for the What's Your Number bonus episode, I hope this lived up to your expectations. If not, don't tell us. <laughs> don't. Yeah, you're not allowed to tell us. But if you did like it, you have to leave us a review on iTunes. Um, we were really happy to do this one for you guys. I know we had been teasing it for a while, and we thought it would be a good way to wrap up season two as well as quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, which some of you are probably still in pretty deep quarantine, but I have to go to work tomorrow, so. Wear your mask. Quarantine's over for me. Mm-hmm. Um... We will be back to start discussing uh, season three of Teen Wolf next week, or sometime this week, maybe. We are It's Friday, but within the next seven days. We are very excited to start discussing it. Um, And uh, don't worry, we will not ease up on the What's Your Number references in the podcast. (laughs) Maybe now they'll continue to be going strong as we have refreshed our memories. Once Uh, we learn how to podcast again, which I think this has been a a good... jumping back into it yeah our, our last few have been definitely like we had to put the training wheels back on it's a, it <laughs> yeah. was a while off um if you would like to keep updated with our podcast you can follow us on twitter at teen wolf underscore rewolf you can also follow us uh on instagram at the same handle and then on tumblr at teen wolf rewolf from all of there you can follow our personal twitters and instagrams um i don't have any more updates Hope, hope everybody's doing well. If you have suggestions uh, or requests for movies that you really love that you would like us to talk about, let us know. Yeah, we've had Twitter. a lot of people bring up stuff that maybe we should actually go through and sort what people's we're, recommendations we're making have been. a list. And checking it twice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. Um, but other than that, uh, I have been Christian. That has been Julia. And we hope you have a wolf of a week. A woo! A woo!